coming up on Art Palace. Look at the neck. Yep. How's, how's the neck, Russell? It's, it's, it's good. It's pulled down in the back, yeah. yeah sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is museum docent Helen Rensberg, who's taking us on a tour of kimono, refashioning contemporary style. Is there a particular place you want us to start or right, right here? here at the beginning? Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you for, for joining us again, Helen. You're uh, welcome. Your, your second time here, uh, taking us through a, through an exhibition. And, uh, this one is pretty, pretty special to you. I would imagine it very, yeah, because I, you know, you're, you're sort of our docent who's very passionate about Asian art in general, but you are especially passionate about Japanese art. I am. I blame it all on the art museum. Really? Where yes. to blame? Okay. Yes. Tell me that story. Okay. Nine years old. I'm taking art lessons here at the art museum back when, um, the students of the art Academy, I guess it was a work study program, mm -hmm. did Saturday art lessons and our art lessons were in Gallery 137, and we it was at that time hung with a comparison of Japanese hanging scrolls and Chinese hanging scrolls. Now, I don't remember this personally, mm -hmm. but my mother teased me for years about this. She said about the fifth week, I came home from class, and I said, Mom, Chinese art's cool. Japanese art's much better. <laughs> <laughs> she just was like, how in the world? So I started by um, collecting Japanese fairy tales and kids' pictures books. Okay. And when I got to college in the late 60s, there were no Asian art history classes, but I made good friends with a librarian at DAA, now DAAP, and she bought me books on Japanese art, which I got to read first. And I... Actually, when I went back to teach at Japan, teach at UC 45 years later, the book was still there and I used it for class. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious what made a, you know, nine-year-old you feel uh, drawn to Japanese art over Chinese art. Like, what was it about Japanese art in, in particular that captured you at that age? Looking back, I think it happened to be, we can use this kimono right here. Okay, we're start. We're right at the beginning of the right. exhibition. So if if you are here looking along with us, uh, this is the very first piece in the exhibition, and it's mm -hmm. just called kimono. So that's easy enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, probably what appealed to me a lot was nature. Oh, okay. There's so much about nature in Japanese art. Uh, the seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, my family went picnicking from about March to November every Sunday, so we were out in nature a lot. Um, I really like their connection to the plant and animal kingdom. This particular one has a lot of flowers on it, including peonies, and then the frolicking um, lion dog there. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, this is not to put down Chinese art, but I found a sense of humor in Japanese art that connects to me more. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So some things I'll point out to you as we go along on that one. But... Um, the more I learned about Japanese culture, being a neat freak, I love how they are so well organized. 
<laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> that's just me. Um, also, um, over the years, the more it's like the more I learn about Japanese culture, the more I want to learn about Japanese culture. We have hosted Japanese young people at our home. Students and teachers have one right now. And it's, they're just a great source of learning more about the culture. Mm. I live in their homes when we're in Japan, and it just keeps building up. Mm-hmm. So Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, any other, since we're still here looking mm. at this piece, is there anything else you wanted to say about this piece? And maybe we, you know, I just started right off getting into your, your fascination, <laughs> but we didn't really talk at all about this exhibition um, and what it is. So maybe we should set that up too. That's no problem because um, we are so grateful to the Kyoto Costume Institute who mm-hmm. work with our curator here, Cynthia Omneas, and the San Francisco Asian Art Museum to create this exhibit. It is a combination of East meets meets West in fashion and both going to the West and coming back to the East. So it's fascinating. It's about 150 years that are covered here. And this um, particular kimono is a fabulous way to enter the exhibit. One, it's from the mid-19th century. And that's when Japan reopened to the West. Right. And so much of Japanese culture flooded into... Europe and America, too. And I'll have some connections with that as we go along. Two, this kimono represents a really high point in Japanese textiles as well as fashion design. So we're looking at a T-shaped garment here, which comes from East Asia, but then refined and totally changed by the time we get up to the 12th century in Japan. We have um, a tubular body shape right there. Mm-hmm. This is a furisode, so it has the longer sleeves on it. So those are the swinging sleeves. This particular kimono would have been for a young woman. Okay. Uh, marriageable. Okay. Because the swinging sleeves were considered very attractive as mm. the young woman moved. The other wonderful thing about this is as we go through, we'll talk about this structure of the tubular body the straight sleeves, this one being long and probably on the Japanese woman was at her knees Right. on that. Um, so we'll talk about silhouette or shape or construction. We'll also talk about surface. And this is a great one because this particular one is dyed and embroidered. Mm. So originally it was a white fabric that had a resist dye that left those white flowers there. Mm. The waterfall design is very typical Japanese. There's sort of a cloud design there, again, very typical Japanese. There's fake shibori in places. We'll talk about that later. But it's all about the surface decoration. And probably this was from Kyoto, which was the center of kimono production in Japan for centuries, still is. Then also on this, we have embroidery in that beautiful red orange and gold embroidery so silhouette surface decoration traditions we're going to be going back and forth between those themes as we go through the whole show yeah it's really the overall design is very you know if you just look at the shape of it it's very simple Mm -hmm. but then you have this incredibly complicated surface like you're saying it's 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 a nice play on these two different ideas (laughs) at once the other thing is we're standing here with uh examples of western painters Mm -hmm. who picked up on the kimono idea and they use it in their oil paintings but in japan the actual surface of the kimono is considered a design and it's just like painting on the fabric often they do paint on right. the fabric yeah um so this is their canvas for expression 
next to the Western artist's canvas of expression. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I walked in by how many sort of non-fashion objects there were in this <laughs> exhibition, because you see all the the kimonos and the, the more contemporary fashion pieces that we're mm-hmm. putting out there. And so I was a little shocked when I came in and saw these paintings from the collection. And but these... they're all related to fashion. Yes, Come yes. on <laughs> over here. Come on over here. Um, this is our own uh, Cincinnati Art Museum, The Silk Merchant by Robert Blum, a Cincinnati artist. He was a reporter and an illustrator for Scribner's and Sons in Japan in the 1890s. And I think it's great to have it right across from the kimono because Mm -hmm. what you're looking at is uh, three women who are at the kimono shop and they're picking out fabric. We have the shop owner who's holding out a piece of gauzy, beautiful, pinky, orange fabric right there. (laughs) And then I love the gentleman in the background who's looking in like, "Mm, what are they doing right there? it's, it's a lot of fun because it sets up the fact that the kimono industry was well established in Japan for centuries, probably going back to the 7th or 8th century. And this is the way it was bought. Um, most kimono women made in their own home. Hmm. There were some that were custom made, but they would start here. You can also see there's a pattern. Well, there's a book there, and that is actually a pattern book. Now, most of his goods are in storage, and he brings them out after they've looked at the pattern book and said, I would like to look at this particular piece of fabric. Oh, okay. Rather than having everything out and worrying about sun damage and dust and all those kind of things. So it's uh, they've already looked at some stuff. It's stacked over here (laughs) out of the way. Yeah. So it's a great one to start the exhibit with. I, until you said the thing about the sort of gauzy fabric, mm-hmm. I never really paid attention to how well it's he's he's rendering that sort of transparency. Mm. It's really really great, like the way the sort of little triangle under his hand is letting in more light mm-hmm. than the part that's overlapping it. It's mm-hmm. just really really well done. As I, as you described that, I was like, oh yeah, I've, I mean I've seen this painting lots of times in the galleries, and I've never really noticed that little now little you'll, touch. you'll watch more closely. I know I need to. I mean, there's too many things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But I have to talk about the cat. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, because if I toured this with young young children mm-hmm. and school-aged children, and I'm going on about the silks and look at the calligraphy and everything like that, and suddenly one of the kids will go, the cat's dead, the cat's oh, dead. No. And I'm like, no, it's not. This is hibachi. There's some charcoal in there. In fact, you can see his feet are up against that uh-huh. because it must be a little bit cool that day. Oh, yeah. The cat's got his feet against the hibachi staying warm. Oh, that's yeah. so cute. Cool little detail that Blum yeah, added yeah, on that yeah, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's such a perfect, like, cat sleeping pose, yeah. too. It just really looks, yeah. I think I think if the cat were dead, people would probably be reacting. They <laughs> <laughs> maybe wouldn't be paying so close attention to the fabric. Right, right. <laughs> um, when Japanese goods came into um, Europe and America, it was mostly 1867 with the um, Paris Exposition Universal, and... That set off so much interest in buying goods. And the Japanese Mm. were perfectly happy to ship a lot over. (laughs) Um, And what we're looking at here is the painting by Tussaud. Tussaud was one of the earliest collectors among the artistic community to uh, bring in Japanese goods. In fact, this is his own home. He's painting his home. And while there might be Persian carpets on the floor, the table that has the model of a Japanese ship is covered with the kimono. Mm-hmm. You will notice the red padding on the bottom of our yeah. initial kimono, and there's red padding on this kimono. You'll also notice all the floral designs 
and the floral designs over there too. So this was a nice pairing to put together. Yeah, they're really similar designs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have two very fashionably dressed women mm -hmm. who are checking out this. And then you have all these Japanese items here. We even have an emperor doll in the back. And it's, it, it's actually, he put together some things he shouldn't. That is a Buddhist family altar, but it has uh, a Shinto doll on it. Okay. Okay. But that's a great example of the many, many layers of kimono that are part of the imperial tradition of dress. And that goes back over 1,200 years. That thin kimono or fabric that we saw in the Blum painting, that relates directly to that. Because okay. that, those are very thin layers. Oh, okay. Whereas the initial, let's call it the initial kimono here, it's going to be a fairly heavy silk mm -hmm. and lined also. So we're going to come around the corner here. Um, have to talk about Rookwood. Grace Young did this beautiful ceramic vase, very delicate and small, with a young woman in a kimono on it. Grace started at Rookwood at age 17. Oh, okay. And continued there for quite a few years. And she was the first to paint a portrait under the glaze oh. at Rookwood. Mm -hmm. So this is a groundbreaker right here. It's small. People might pass it right by. But it is important. And yeah. it continues that Cincinnati connection that I'll, I'll keep talking about think, as we go through. And there are more examples of Rookwood in the exhibition, yes, there aren't are. there? Because I mean, yes, there the, I know there's lots of inspiration, some maybe less literal, <laughs> some more <laughs> sort of stylistically. Mm -hmm. and, and then we have all of the uh, Japanese decorators, too, who, who worked um, with, at Rookwood. At Rookwood, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, right past the Chisseau painting is an example of the first way that Western designers adapted Japanese fashion. They would buy kimono, take them apart, because it's just a straight piece of fabric, which <laughs> is very versatile. Yeah. And then they turned it into the, the wonderful, hour, you know, the shape where the, the bust is out and the bustle is, is, is out in the back, and uh, all that um, fabric underneath with the ruffles. But that is, look at the embroidery on that fabric. Yeah. We have gold, we have red, we have blue, we have green, we have all these different, in fact, there's quite a few colors of red in there. And then they add Venetian lace to that. So it's a real mash of the Japanese and the Western. Yeah. So they like the exotic idea of Japanese fashion fabrics, but they weren't ready to change the fashions yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, for every shoe nut... <laughs> That no, seriously. If you ever do an exhibit in their shoes, you meet the shoe nuts. Um, so we have this wonderful pair of shoes right here that is actually from 2017. Oh, okay. It's our youngest item. Yeah, they, and it's funny because they do match these this dress so perfectly right. that you would think. I mean, they are, when you mm -hmm. get close to them, you realize like when you see the little studs on the heel and things, you're starting <laughs> well, to be like, oh, those okay. aren't Japanese. But no, the like, fabric, the fabric is definitely Japanese yeah, yeah. on that one. The high heels, no, that doesn't work for Japan. And right behind the boots is another example of a kimono that has been taken apart. Not as much because you can still see the sleeves. Yeah, yeah, you can still see the seams there. Um, and there's not as much change in that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should say those shoes too are uh, uh, Louboutin shoes, which you can you can see the the famous red uh, sole underneath. Oh, oh, I don't know anything. Oh yeah, yeah, those are like shoes, uh, and I don't get along. You don't, you're not a shoe. I'm nut. not a shoe. Nut. I'm not either. I guess, but yeah, that's <laughs> like you know the sort of famous thing about Louboutins is they have that red uh, sole. Okay. So you see that red, you know. Oh, they're wearing Louboutins. <laughs> <laughs> And you know that they cost a lot of money. There we go. 
We have a lot of graphics in the exhibit, and I'm going to point them out when I can. Uh, this particular one shows how the straight fabric from a kimono, so these would be the panels that were from the front to the back, the sleeves, but now they're cutting out the Western design. Mm. And Western des design construction is totally different from Japanese at this time. Everything is fitted to the person. So a dress for Madame X only fits Madame X right. on that one. Um, a wedding dress or a kimono, I should, I'll just go back to a kimono in Japan, it, until kids got to be um, five foot six, um, could be passed down from grandmother to mother to granddaughter very easily mm -hmm. because you just adjusted. Yeah. Yeah, the length just it's adjusted. A very, a very versatile garment. Very versatile garment, yeah. right. Now on this stop here, it's showing design books that were probably featured here in Cincinnati in one of our three Japanese curio shops that were active in the 1890s up to 1910. Uh, these particular books um, were produced in Japan. They are designs that were done by famous artists at the time and then put in books like this that could be used not only by textile artists, but lacquer artists, metal mm. artists, um, any, any artists who wanted to look at patterns. So, wow, mm -hmm. I, I I wouldn't I had no idea that that was a thing like a Japanese curio shop that I mean it makes sense like when you think about the <laughs> the rage for uh, ah. Japanese things that was going mm -hmm. on at that time but I didn't think mm -hmm. that there would be like a shop dedicated to that but that makes a lot of sense. We had three. Wow, <laughs> and and one was owned by the husband of Etsu Sugimoto who wrote which may, some people might know, Daughter of Samurai. Okay. She lived here in Cincinnati, about two miles from where I lived. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not, we were not living at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are two gorgeous pieces of fabric here, um, and it is showing the Japanese influence on the French fabric industry. Oh, okay. So the design books we were just looking at, we have this gorgeous silver and red wave pattern. We saw those waves on the initial first kimono. And then look at this flower design coming straight down as a kimono design would come down. Mm. So it's a great example to show how, again, they weren't quite ready to adapt the silhouette of the kimono, but mm -hmm. boy, they sure went for the, for the fabric yeah. and the fabric designs. So we'll turn around now, and we have these elegant gowns. There are six of them here, so we'll just start here on the left. The first one is a ball gown. Both of them are French fabrics, but a French design fabric's basically in the front. But look at that train. It's all ferns, straight okay. off of Japanese patterns. And um, according to Ms. Omneus, these ferns were not seen in Western designs until hmm. that meeting of East and West on that one. Interesting. So, and it has the long train, but that's standard, shall we say, in Western fashion. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm -hmm. um, this particular coat gets to be a looser design, but underneath there would have been the same dress with the bustle and yeah. the corsets and all that kind of stuff. But it's much looser, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not form-fitting because they wanted that surface for all this incredible embroidery and Japanese motifs. Yeah. So no silhouette, but oh, we have motifs. Yeah. We have samurai helmets marching up the front of this coat, intertwined with other designs. They're floral designs that cascade down the shoulders, and those continue on the 
helmets also continue on the back if you want to go around the side of the platform here. Sneak a that. peek. Sneak a peek, right. <laughs> sneak a peek. Um, this woman's dress is by Duchet. I think I'm saying that right. Yes, French. It would be like uh, Duchet. I'm saying that with the authority of somebody who took, you know, high school French. So <laughs> I, t- I took Latin. It doesn't help at all. <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> this dress, again, is surface, not silhouette. So we have iris across the shoulders, just a little bit down the front, and then a riot of iris all around the hem. Many fashions in, in kimono, because of the obi and the sash with the obi, will leave the area around the waist undecorated. Mm-hmm. Others, they go straight through, like the first right. kimono that we saw. But this is more. This is common. Um, I have a number of kimono in my collection that are like this. While this is a very feminine dress, the Japanese would have looked at this and seen those iris and those iris sleeves and would have known directly that reference to the samurai. Hmm. I know it's a flower, but if you know your botanicals, the, summer, uh, the iris has a very straight leaf, almost like a sword. Hmm. And so even on boys' day, boys are given iris. Interesting. In- including the leaves because of the sword. Oh, wow. I know. Hmm. I had no idea. You'll learn a lot here. I know. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we would do with all of our exhibits, right? Right, right. Learn right. a lot. Yeah, that's... Learn a lot. Um, we have this amazing coat right here. Then we're getting a little bit to the tubular yeah. silhouette here. We've lost room for the bustle in the back. Um, the Japanese would never add fur. But look at that fabric again. The other thing that's easier to see on this one <clears throat> is that there's an overall pattern that is gold on gold. And mm. you have to almost see it in the light to catch yeah. the fact that there's a pattern there. And then over that is the embroidery. Yeah. And a number of the kimono are like that here. We'll point that out. Um, this particular gown, bought possibly by the House of Worth, and we even have on the label an example of a geisha in a kimono. And her dress is just, it's beaded, but using Japanese designs. So we got the train again. Shoe aficionados, check out the shoes on this one. Um, <laughs> but she's belted. Mm-hmm. And in a little way, that overskirt harks back a little bit to the kimono. I know we don't have a kimono out that shows exactly how it is worn totally with the OB in right. this little overlap that's part of it. Yeah. Um, but you'll just have to take it for Yeah, there's something about even the way that belt sort of hangs out in the front mm-hmm. that just, it's it's not very literally connected to kimono, but there's something about almost the looseness of that mm-hmm. that feels, I don't know, mm-hmm. conceptually related. Conceptually related. Yeah. Coco Chanel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Coco Chanel, who brought us a little black dress. Mm-hmm. And here we really have an unstructured coat. We have jumped up to 1927, so it's a little bit into, or it's after World War One. She has a scarf on. Now, I looked at it first, and I went, oh, my gosh, this is a print technique. This is from Woodblock Prints. Oh. This is Bokashi. It starts black at the top and then gradually goes mm-hmm. to that green. Mm-hmm. It's really noticeable on the sleeves. Yeah. The other part of this was the American and European fashion fascination with Japanese lacquerware. Mm-hmm. So she has added that incredible gold border just about below waistline on the body of the, the coat and then just above the cuffs on the, the sleeves with that. And then notice she padded the cuffs. Mm-hmm. That is definitely not Western. Yeah. That is definitely Asian 
or, or Japanese for that. So that's one of my favorite pieces. Well, and that sort of gold around the middle, mm-hmm. it has a look of an obi, too. Mm-hmm. It, it kind Absolutely. of has the same sort of structure of being this real thick band around mm-hmm. the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you come to the, the second room and you stand in the doorway for a minute, um, there are designers and installation crew have done an amazing job by placing a kimono within sight mm-hmm. so that you can compare it immediately to the, the part of the exhibit that you're entering. So we have this gorgeous kimono with the cranes right there and then designs. Notice how loose things have gotten here. Mm, yeah. mm, we're losing the corsets. <laughs> <laughs> this, we come over to the left and we have a beautiful dress with, um, I believe it's uh, silk lame. And it's an even, evening dress by Lady Duff Gordon from England. And immediately you see the sash. Right. And it comes down at the front. Now it's got the flowers that are added there. Um, but in Japan, um, they now add obijime to obis. A little extra decoration in the front. Oh, okay. So it's, it's great. Now the fringe... Is not Japanese, <laughs> but um, it's beautifully done. Notice the sleeves. Most Western sleeves have up to this time been fitted, mm. and now we have a looser, more open sleeve yeah. on that one. There's no bustle in the back, and another thing is her neck is showing. Oh. That's very important in Japan. The neck was considered by gentlemen to be one of the most um, erotic areas of the body. Oh my. I know, I know. It's I have a hori on now. I can't tell you the number of times my Japanese lady friends go and pull my back neck down. It's like, no, get it down, get it down. Like, so I mine's down right now. <laughs> if you move around too night too much, it just falls forward uh, again. Okay. Um, look at this incredible red coat. It has no bustle anymore, but that wonderful jeweled piece in the back, somewhat reminiscent of a kimono bow. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of draping right there. Look at the neck. Yep. How's, how's the neck, Russell? It's, it's, it's good. It's pulled down in the back. Yeah. That's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and so we walk back to the kimono. Look how big those cranes are. It's, yeah, they're impressive. This is probably one of my favorite pieces in the, in the exhibition. It's mm-hmm. just, when I came in, I was like, wow. Like, it is just the design on this thing. I mean, when you talked about it as a canvas like a painting, mm-hmm. you know, this is a great way to, I mean, this one is really noticeable because of <laughs> the scale you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, th- everything is so large that it no longer feels like pattern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, right. this is a painting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's a painting with huge significance because you have the cranes for longevity. They have two cranes, at least what we see on the front. There are plum blossoms, and plum blossoms, so cranes are longevity, plum blossoms are for perseverance, because in Japan, they actually bloom uh, in the end of winter, Hmm. not the beginning of spring, so oftentimes they are blooming when there's snow Hmm. on that one. Um, They have a phenomenal fragrance. We were there once in March and got to smell the plum blossoms, and across the shoulders, we have cherry blossoms. So then that's the next flower of spring. And, of course, cherry blossoms are a symbol of the samurai. Right. Because they bloom so beautifully and then fall from the tree before their, their flowers wither. Down below, iris. See those spiky mm-hmm. leaves right there? So we have a lot of combination of the flower and the nature forms that are right there. And I just realized this is the back, isn't it? Yes. We're okay. seeing the back of, of what we saw the front. 
And the first kimono. Yeah, the first kimono was the front. And this is the back. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just realized after looking at the top there and the collar, the Mm -hmm. way it's turned, I was like, oh, wait, this is, (laughs) it makes sense because I'm not seeing the, you know, Mm -hmm. the split. Yeah. And to the right of this is this astonishing (laughs) evening. It's just called dress. I'm sorry. This is an evening I know. This is the thing about like uh, fashion exhibitions. A lot of times the titles are not terribly (laughs) exciting or or helpful in trying to direct people to what you're talking about because they're all like dress, coat, (laughs) (laughs) shoes. (laughs) Right. <laughs> this is a beautiful matching. Now, the other thing is, this kimono is from the Cam collection. Okay. And so our designers matched it with it. all uh, what we've been talking about is a kimono with a fabulous orange background. But I don't want you to think of orange like safety cone orange. I want you to think of a warm, flowing orange on that with the red dark red plum blossoms and the white crane. Then we look to the right, and there is this gorgeous evening dress in orange, about five different versions of orange Mm. tints, long sleeves, tubular body. The the obi is down at the hips, but it's still got that sash idea right there. Mm -hmm. So now we're going from we're using the fabric to we're using the silhouette. Mm. See the difference on that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't they're not using any of the motifs. They're just using the general structure yeah, of the yeah, kimono. Yeah. It's it's something else. The the uh the sheer the like you mentioned all those different uh shades of orange and then the the way the sort of transparency plays with that. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really something mm-hmm. else. It's pretty beautiful. Yeah. We have a number of uh evening coats. <laughs> yeah, another <laughs> another bunch of coats. Bunch of coats. Um, Loose, Mm -hmm. definitely again. Um, We have the orange peach coat here is the Japanese kimono structure. So you have the long sleeves, although they split, they slit them at the top of the arm, which that's okay. (laughs) It's just, it's not totally Japanese, but it's close. It's, it's, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it is a little odd. It's, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting take. (laughs) Then we have this uh, coat by Miss Lily from the United States showing how, far and wide the influences go mm-hmm. and that fern design we saw in the ball gown oh, yeah there we have it yeah there we have it yeah coming around here to um the piece by paul perot forgive me anybody who knows french Poiret. Poiret. <laughs> um it is a dress and it is meant to mimic a haori which oh, is the yeah. silk jacket going with a kimono over kimono. Mm-hmm. So you have the black hori over the gray silk, and she's even got it correctly draped the left side over the right side, and she has an obi, and there are small circular loose sleeves and then small circular um, areas that might represent the moan or the family crest that were often on kimono. We don't have an s- example of that in the show okay. on that. Um, so just a beautiful beautiful, beautiful outfit. And again, notice how that the surface design is not painted, it's not dyed, it's woven in. Mm, yeah. So it's really, it catches the light. It's very mm-hmm. subtle, beautifully done. Another way that Japanese fashions were adapted or adopted by Westerners was dressing gowns. And we have two examples here as we come back to the right side of the front room. The Gray and peach is done in um, Yokohama. Yokohama became a great point for 
manufacturing or sewing kimono that were sold directly to the Western market. So there are, this particular one has a wider uh, skirt than a kimono does. So that was adapted. But you have those gorgeous flowers coming up. The um, uh, cord around the waist, um, it's more of a Chinese collar. But there were a lot of Chinese in Yokohama, too. I only know this because I've been looking at places where I'm going to go in September and thinking about places. I was like, Yokohama has, like, the biggest uh, Chinatown. Chinatown in Japan. In Japan, That's right. yeah. That's right. Always has. Yeah. Always has. So they, they got their licks in right there. Yeah. Yeah. But the black dressing gown is definitely kimono. You can see the long sleeves. You can see the shoulder <clears throat> decorations at the shoulder. You come up closely, and again, you have that woven in design, the very subtle flowers that are woven yeah, in. Yeah, the black on black. Black on black. And then you have the roses embroidered. I think those are roses embroidered at the top there. And she's got her sash on. And there's fringe on the sash right there. <laughs> we have another painting right here that shows, again, the, the influence of kimono on painters. And it's by uh, Richard Miller. So a woman is actually has her dress on underneath or a nightgown, and then she's got a kimono over it. The fashion became that you would have your, you'd, you'd have a tea gown on, which was coming fashionable in the late 19th century. But if you really want to be exotic, you would throw a kimono over that. Ah. You still had your corsets on. Okay. But you were exotic. You were with <laughs> it. You had that beautiful fabric on your back mm -hmm. on that. And there were many people that collected that. In fact, there's a little note that Cynthia threw in for the docents that uh, Tussaud, whose painting that we saw earlier, mm -hmm. um, a lot of impressionists got mad at him because he would get to the ships in the stores earlier and buy up all the kimono before the other impressionists could get it. <laughs> on that one. <laughs> now we're moving into the section on design for the modern woman. And we're into the early 1900s and the 1920s where Women are much more active. They don't want the corsets. They don't want all that constrictions. Look how loose. We have oh, yeah. five gowns here that we're looking at down the row. The gowns are just astonishing for luxury. So these are luxury goods. Um, but an interesting fact, there was such a craze for kimono that Yokohama would do those luxurious ones we just saw with all the embroidery. Mm -hmm. But they would do cheap, cheap ones, too. Yeah. They were providing for every market out there. Mm -hmm. the, the pattern companies, they were right behind them. You could go get a pattern and make your own right. if you could find the fabric. I don't think they'd find fabric like we see this it, uh, no. for the B, uh, Molino, Molino for the Altman Company. Incredible gold. Yeah. Incredible gold. But I love the red underdress because I have forgotten to say as we've gone through here, when you see red padding on the uh, bottom of kimono, probably the lining is also red. Mm. Red is a color of protection in Asia and in Japan. I know it as one to ward off disease. So oftentimes children are dressed in red. Okay. And many kimono are lined in red. I have red linings on a number of my kimono, okay. which is kind of fun Yeah, on that one. But look at those long sleeves. Yeah. And they're a little scrunched right there. And then she's got a hood on the coat too. 
Yeah, this one is is wild. I know. <laughs> I mean, the others they, they they feel much more traditionally like what I would think of a twenties fashion. When you just if you say like, imagine people in the twenties, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind mm-hmm. of think of these, and they're they're pretty great for a lot of other reasons. I mean, the 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 sort of patchworky looking uh, pattern on this one is mm-hmm. wonderful, but that that first one we came to is just so opulent feeling. Mm-hmm. It's it's so extravagant. Opulence good on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we have. The flapper. Yes. Who don't, they don't, didn't know it, but they owed a lot to the kimono. Yeah. Because suddenly you have this tube dress, gives you all this freedom of movement, and you can kick it up with the Charleston, <laughs> all that you wanted. Uh, the, the hemlines, of course, get shorter than a kimono. But here it's structure, and on some of these it's also surface decoration. Mm. I know it's really subtle, but this, this one we're looking at, um, it looks very simple, but it's actually T-shapes right. that interlock, and that is a Japanese motif. And then you're back to lacquerware with the combination of silver and gold in the lacquer. Yeah. And then the T itself almost ends up looking like a kimono itself mm-hmm. <laughs> on the, the pattern of it. Does. It, it looks it like the... Like the, the sode with the yeah. short sleeves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have all the beading here, which is Western. Um, you don't see beading in Japan or didn't. At this point, but you've got the floral decorations. You've got the wave patterns right there on this this more subtle one compared to the flash over here on the other one. Oh my one. gosh! Yeah, yeah, that's flash, that's flash. And then we have to come over here because everyone loves a wedding dress, right? <laughs> so Madeleine Vionnet uh, loved Japanese fashion, and in 1922 she created this particular wedding dress, which um, probably someone could wear right now, couldn't they? Yeah, you could Im- easily imagine somebody wearing this mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Mostly the reference here is to the tubular design, the layering, and then the long train, which is very flat and mm-hmm. unadorned. So mm-hmm. it's more like an obi yeah. than a typical train, which often has embroidery on it and is scalloped around the edges and right. all those kind of <laughs> fancy things. So, yeah. So everyone loves a wedding dress. And right across from the wedding dress, for those of you listening before you come to the exhibit, we have this wonderful graphic that shows you, the uh, starting on the left, how one long piece of fabric um, can be made into a kimono. Hmm. So it shows the where the sleeves are cut out, where the front, where the back, where the collar are cut out. And it's just wonderful against a contrast with a bodice for a Western dress of the 1880s. Look at how many pieces it takes to use that to do that bodice yeah. and, and work around the woman's torso and bust. Yeah. And again, the kimono can go for Lots of different sizes, but once that dress is made, it's only for Madame X. Yep. Only for Madame X. What I also love is we have the pattern for Viennese wedding dress. Yeah. All right. Take a picture of that. Go home and make your own. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to figure out the dimensions. (laughs) Yeah, you do. You do. Well, it depends on your size. The person. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And actually, um, my students at UC, uh, one of them made a kimono once because you can go to the pattern books and still get make your own kimono patterns. Yeah. hundred years later. Yeah. Pretty cool. So we've entered the right side of the exhibit now, and our kimono sets the tone. We again have red padding on the bottom, and you can even see a little of the red lining on the sleeves there. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the back. But if you go closely, we have birds. Yeah. So again, that nature theme that's right here. 
and to the right. So those are cranes, and they're all flying up. So it's a very auspicious design on this one. Again, behind it, the, the blue base fabric is that color-on-color -color brocade with all these um, plant designs that are back there. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the cranes are going up against this incredible blue sky Yeah. on that. And right to the right, we have this coat with swallows. And they, they cavort across the top of that, and then they fly down to the bottom, too. Swallows are a symbol of fidelity in Japan. Okay. They mate for life. They're also a good luck symbol. And during the Edo period, so I didn't define that, that's 1600 to 1868, they also believed to predict weather. Okay. If they were flying high to catch the bugs, it was good weather. If they came down and they were flying low to catch the bugs, you're probably going to have some bad weather coming. Yeah. So it's, it was like a little bit of a weatherman there. Is this from the 60s? Um, this particular one. Or I'm trying to it's think. It's the Del Aqua. It's from. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, no, it's later. No, this it's, is really new. Yeah. Okay, this is from 2015. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which goes to show you <laughs> what I know. <laughs> but I guess when I said 60s, like that, that collar. With the tie. Um, the tie. It mm -hmm. just reminds me of, like, I don't know, something you would see Mia Farrow wear in Rosemary's Baby <laughs> or something. Like, there's just something about it that has a very 60s look. but yeah. Retro. Yeah, but it's, it's mm -hmm. very intentionally retro, it's I think. Very intentionally yeah. retro, yeah. yeah. And then one of my absolute favorite pieces. This thing is something, huh? Right. As you come in, the, the ball gown with the, uh, the strapless black ball gown with the amazing rosette of black silk in the front. But across the bottom, we have flying cranes. So it directly relates to our kimono over there. Mm -hmm. What is amazing is to know that um, this was by Ray Kawakubo. So we're now moving from Western designers using Japanese inspirations. This side combines Western designers and Japanese designers yeah. on that. Um, so Ray Kawakubo is an amazing designer. Um, she's 77 now, and she's still creating. Yeah. She has 21 lines of clothing from the, the, the J-pop clothing all the way up to the very, very fine haute couture. Mm -hmm. Okay. The cranes that are on here are in flight in white and gold, and they were created by a Yuzen dyer in Kyoto. So she designed the outfit, but then hired an artist to paint the design on there. Yeah. That is not unusual in Japan. That is not unusual. Um, I met a woman in Kyoto. She had painted her own obi. Okay. It was fabulous. Yeah. It was just fabulous. It was all in sumie, the black ink and washes on that one. Um, so artists working together on kimono, very, very traditional on that one. And so this dress is from 91, 1991. And Again? You, you mentioned the padded. Uh, mm. Was that what you were about to point mm -hmm. out? Yeah, because I noticed that as we were standing here, the padded uh, base of this, mm -hmm. this seems very like uh, traditional in some way. It is very traditional, yeah. right. But isn't that a great contrast with the black, white, and gold? Yeah, Damn. yeah. And mm -hmm. then it's, yeah, the, the whole thing has this interesting mix of, because at first when you just see the sort of silhouette of it, it looks mm -hmm. very Western ball gown kind of design. Until you look closer. Until then you like, <laughs> yeah, all of these, the, the, the painted uh, surface and that uh, padded thing mm -hmm. and, and even the way that 
I mean, I love this, the way it just bunches up into this crazy rose shape on the front is just, it's so, so crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't try to sit at the dinner table with that, but no, you know. Oh no. Well, I don't know. I don't think she's known for designing things that are always te- terribly practical. <laughs> uh, Ray Kawakubo says, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, we're going over to the left side of the exhibit now and, um, we must honor Hanai Mori. She was the first Japanese designer to be invited to show in France, in Paris. Um, she established her um, studio in Tokyo in 1951 and in 1977 was invited to Paris. This dress is amazing. I wish it could be seen by somebody who's walking because if you look closely, yeah. it's actually two layers and it's the same pattern the the under the under I'm gonna say sorry under kimono yeah. I'm used to that um, is the same design but over that is this very thin chiffon printed with the same design so can you imagine moving and how that design would sway back and forth as you moved yeah it's very um, hypnotic looking I mm. mean yeah the mm-hmm. the it's it's really fascinating. I hadn't noticed it until we just walked up to it, and I saw. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is really crazy!" There's that the layering uh, mm-hmm. it's just creates a really fascinating effect. The shoulders are very plain, but then you come down to the, the the open sleeves and the flower designs, and you come down, and even the flower designs are sort of in wave patterns. You mm-hmm. come down, then you do have a wave pattern there. You have iris, you have huggy, you have bellflowers, you have uh, I think. There are pinks down here on that. So she's combined so much of the surface designs of Japanese dresses with a pretty Western silhouette, yeah. except for the sleeves on mm-hmm. that one. Um, the next one is by her also. And this is a dress I would steal if I could. Um, it's very, very simple. It's a tubular black sheath, and it has grass, what's called grass script calligraphy running down it. Yeah. It's a long tradition in Japan to have writing on your clothing. It's considered to be a sign of your education and your understanding of traditional culture, poetry, and literature. Hmm. Now, this is not uh, translatable. And a lot of grass calligraphy by famous um, calligraphers, somebody had to write down what it was they wanted to say yeah. because nobody else can. But everybody, <laughs> everybody loves the flow of the thin and the thick yeah. and the swirls or the, the brush strokes on that one. So the calligraphy is on the sleeves, the uh, chiffon sleeves, and then on the tubular dress. Very, very simple, very striking yeah. on that. Uh, again, she was the first... Asian designer to be asked to show in Paris. Oh, wow. And a woman at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Sarah Burton. And Sarah Burton um, has modified a couple things. She's actually brought sort of a harness on this dress, which refers to the samurai culture. Hmm. But you look at the dress, and she's got these bold graphics on there. And uh, flower blossom, the, the wave tendrils, if you know the great wave print by Hokusai, Right. And those tendrils that come over the ship, and she's got that on there. Um, the boots are are very um, western. On yeah. That. Well, and did you see the heel on that or the mm-hmm. lack thereof? Mm-hmm. Like that is insane. Yeah. Like it's you got to check out the heels. Yeah. The 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 where the heel should be is non-existent. <laughs> 
and then it sort of springs out from the mm-hmm. front in a way that kind of mimics some of the shapes on the on the jumpsuit. Yeah, too. It's mm-hmm. sort of is kind of a wave uh, backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's funny if if I hadn't looked in, at the label, I would have probably pegged this one for a '70s design too, because <laughs> of the patterns and and mm-hmm. colors look very '70s, very 70s to me. But yeah, mm-hmm. this is from 2015, or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, 2015. Yeah, 2015. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, for uh, Alexander McQueen, too. So it's a name yeah. people will probably recognize. Well, they might recognize Sarah Burton because she designed Kate Middleton's wedding dress when, oh. she, met, when she married Prince Harry. Oh, Prince I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when you're docent, you pick up all sorts of fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, our guests love it. And, I, and yeah. we will take care no, of our that's, guests. That's that is a totally good. Uh, that is a juicy good detail. <laughs> <laughs> I'll promote Docent Tours as much as possible. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, John Galliano. This is a 2001 dress, and if when you came in, you noticed the graphic design with the flowers and something that was round. It's from this particular oh, okay. dress. Yeah. So the fabric is Japanese, but the construction is very Western. Yeah. Um, the important thing with this one is the ox cart design that is there. Hmm. And that's the ox cart wheel. Yeah. And that goes back 1,200 years to the Heian period when the only people who could ride in a wheeled vehicle mm-hmm. were the royalty. Okay. So the imperial family and the courtiers on that one. Um, but Galliano has added zippers and all sorts of crazy stuff yeah. to that one. Um, <laughs> it's pretty pretty bizarre. That zipper, when you first hear it, like, wait, why is that mm-hmm. zipper there? And mm-hmm. then, yeah, it looks almost like this sort of half bodice or something yeah. that's sort of draped around her neck, and it sort of looks like it's all sort of tied together. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's it's pretty uh, pretty out there. It's one of those showstoppers. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what the designers do. It's great. They do showstoppers. When we come around um, to enter the next room, we're going to pass another piece of Cincinnati history. Um, our Shira Yamadani vase, which has flying birds on it. Yeah, and it really relates nicely to the... Uh, to the coat with the swallows and the, the evening dress with the flying cranes yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely it, it, mm-hmm. it relates nicely to those. Mm-hmm. Shira Yamadani uh, worked almost 50 years at Brookwood Pottery. Um, creating pottery and teaching a lot of the the decorators too. Yeah. So we have an example of an obi that's um, actually out on the wall in its full length. Now obi come in many different sizes and many different lengths. I've seen obi that are longer. I own obi that are longer than this one. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about this one is you can see the artistry of the textile designers yeah. in it with the gold and the um, brocades of all the different flowers in the round shapes. Um, Japanese family crests are generally in a round shape, so rather than the shield shape in right. the Western, um, which is very nice to see. And there's a fold line there because often the, the, ob- well, the, fold, the obi is folded mm-hmm. before it is uh, put on. Um, we have two dresses here. One, the, the Yamamoto is not quite so recent. It's 1995. Um, and the obi fabric is actually the skirt yeah. of this. Just in your face, red and gold. Yeah. That is, I think, the 16-petal chrysanthemum, and that is a symbol of the imperial family. Okay. Um, and that obi has been brought up to create a very unusual... It's almost like the obi was tied in the front rather than the back. Mm-hmm. Courtesans wore their obi tied in the front. Normal people wore their obi tied in the back. Oh. Oh, yes. It was quite the fashion. 
Oh, I had no idea. Oh, yes. And um, if you get online to look at even more woodblock prints than we have out on um, display, you'll see some amazing obi that they must have been 30 feet long Hmm. to to get the bows that are in the woodblock prints. Wow. So the very plain top in a knit jersey and then that astonishing skirt in in the gold. This Toshiko Yamawaki is, and again, one of our early um, Japanese designers to do Western fashion. And the print that is on the label is Hokusai's Great Wave. Right. So it's right here for you to see and get the inspiration that she hit, Toshiko, she had for this wave of gold that starts at the bottom and goes up the body and then breaks across the chest. This is an amazing um, technical embroidery. It's called couching. So those are actually gold threads. So that's gold wrapped around a small thread. And then the gold thread is embroidered or stitched onto the fabric. You even have the bow in the back. Absolutely stunning design. We're so in, bold. In, in the, these kind of hop around in time a bit in this mm-hmm. side because this mm-hmm. is 1956. Right. So it's a little bit earlier than some of the, the other pieces we were just looking at. And mm-hmm. actually, I mean, when I just looked down and saw that, I was sort of more impressed by it because it feels a little more, uh, I would have thought it was more recent, actually, just to look at it. I would, I don't know. I didn't pin it to, to the 50s. So it's a good designer, it. a show of a good designer, a timeless design? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is pretty timeless because I feel like I you, somebody too. could walk out. You, I, This would not be surprising to see somebody on the red carpet in something mm-hmm. like this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks... It, and they really stand out. Yeah, yeah. They really stand yeah, out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to turn around because this way we can see the Shibori section. Yeah. Um, starting out with our uh, most recent friend, Iris Van Erpen, mm-hmm. when we had her show, the um, woman who does sculptures on the body. Fabulous story behind this one. Iris loves to explore and experiment with technology. Yeah. Believe it or not, you are looking at the lightest fabric ever created in the world. It's called Super Organza. It was created in Japan for an audio company hmm. to um, pad some of the components okay. in their their audio uh, audio items. And what she has done is taken the Shibori idea of grabbing a little bit of fabric and tying it so that it takes or doesn't take dye. Mm-hmm. And she some of that is where the the pinch comes out toward us and then some of it is where the pinch goes away from us. Mm -hmm. So she's like this in and out. And again, you have the wave kind of idea with the circular lines there. Um, So this is very, I think this is very recent, 2016. Yeah. So this is one of our early designs on that. It it has this sort of, uh, it reminds me of like honeycombs or something. Absolutely. You know, that's sort of Mm -hmm. what I think of. I mean, a lot of her dresses have a sort of, pulling from biology and, you know, they feel like they're pulling from nature and Mm -hmm. other places. And that's Mm -hmm. what, if I look at this and even then, you know, some of the structures feel, uh, kind of bone like or shapes seem almost skeletal too. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's really cool. If we go behind Iris, this dress by Yamamoto has Shibori on just one part. Okay. And it's much, much easier to see the Shibori here where you have the little dots at the top and then around that. I'm not 
this is quite a complicated shibori because of a couple different colors used in it, not just one, which is very traditional. I'm actually wearing a shibori right now. Yeah. And um, I'm just, this is my cherry blossom shibori for the color. Then back here we have um, uh, Mar uh, Galante, and it's a pullover blouse that is shibori, but instead of ironing out or flattening out the puckers that come with shibori, mm -hmm. they left them. And so this makes a very, very stretchy material. And that blouse could be worn by a number of different size people. Yeah. Because it would just stretch out to yeah. your size. Behind that is, a, it, we, it's not all for women here. We do have some men's <laughs> fashion. Um, this is a shibori that's very different. Shibori can be in the small dots like we're seeing here. It can be larger patterns. It could be tied with silk. Anybody that's gone to a day camp has done it with rubber bands. Um, <laughs> we do it about, we, we've already done it this year at our camp. There so, you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> this one you know, uses wood blocks. Okay. And that created the, the black lattice design. And then each of the blocks that was left undyed, mm -hmm. not black, has been individually hand colored. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty striking on that. Yeah, it reminds me of like a, a Mondrian painting Absolutely. or something. That's kind of what it's like Absolutely. wearing a Mondrian. Mm -hmm. We have a whole wall here of Japanese designers. And these are designs that are playing with two-dimensional and three-dimensional. There is a triumvirate of Japanese designers who burst on the scene in the 80s and 90s. And that is Issei Miyake, Rei Kawakubo, and Yoji Yamamoto. So we've seen Yamamoto, we've seen Kawakubo already. We'll see him some more. Uh, this is Miyake. Miyake at age 80-something is still <laughs> designing. Yeah. Um, he is another experimenter before Van Erpen. He worked with many textile manufacturers to play around with polyester and see what you can do with polyester. He has a couple, two, two things we have here to see is the Pleats Please collection where they worked out a way for permanently pleating fabric. Okay. So on the wall is a red and orange design that actually is a dress. And when it's not worn, it becomes flat like that circle. But then when you put it on and you put your head through the, the hole there, it, it goes out from your body. Yeah. And it bounces around. It's um, Mary Basket here in Hattown collects Miyake. And she wore one the other night for the founder's opening. It's very cool. Um, then uh, he also does things called one piece of cloth. And it's based on origami. So this is in two versions. It's on a mannequin and it's on the uh, display as a flat piece. Yeah. Miyake is um, going back to the Japanese, use everything possible, don't waste anything. So it's called one piece of cloth. The idea that there's no wastage. That's the fabulous thing about kimono cut. There's no wastage. It is woven to be the exact length and width needed, and nothing is wasted. Mm -hmm. Everything is used. It's very different from Western fashion where you have all these little bits and pieces left over on that one. So you can see it when it's flat, and you can see it when it's on the body, which is very fun and funky. Yeah, it's really cool that we you know, we're able to have two examples of this, you know, mm -hmm. that's, I feel like that's so mm -hmm. rare. I mean, I, I wish mm -hmm. we could have done that with the other Miyake piece here where that we have only displayed flat because, mm. but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty rare that somebody is able to have two examples in their collection of something, uh, to be able to, to display it in both ways. So this is really, this is probably one of my favorite pieces in the exhibition just because of that, to, to see it this way and then to get to see it, how it, 
looks unfolded mm-hmm. on, on top of somebody. And we have two more Miyake right here. This is, again, from his pleading. Um, again, it's polyester. And this, the dress, we have it on the mannequin, a different dress, but another dress, flat. And they're sculptural pieces. Oh, yeah. They're very, whether they're flat or on the body, they're sculptural pieces. Uh, the bronze one, I just love that color. Yeah. It's incredible. And again, he, he runs something called Reality Lab with quite a few different people, including a math professor, where they are experimenting with fabric as much as possible to be ecologically um, aware Yeah. Um, on that one. We have another Ray Kawakubo. Um, sometimes you think you'll never figure out it's a Kawakubo until you read the label because she keeps changing. Yeah. She keeps changing, um, which is fine. So again, you have this flatness right here um, with the, it's the jacket, skirt, and socks on that. Um, this, this one kills me. I think it's so oh. funny. I think it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, it's so silly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I, I think the label makes reference to this, but it almost feels like um, paper doll clothes, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Everything is yep. sort of flattened looking um, because it kind of gets pinched together on the edges. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it has this silly silliness to it and then this pattern on the bottom which is basically camouflage i just realized that (laughs) with these big sort of red flowers Mm -hmm. over top of it i Mm -hmm. mean it's just so goofy um so i just love this one this one makes me (laughs) laugh the most it's it's so over the top (laughs) then the platform in the middle we have um a number of very modern pieces. If you start in the back, the Rudy Gernreich mm, piece. Yeah. And, of course, we saw that when we had the Gernreich show right, right. here. I don't know how many years ago. Um, and then we have these. Um, these are from 1994. They're ensembles by uh, John Galliano, uh, which take the kimono loosely in that they have obis. The black one has the, the sleeves. Um, and then they're... More risque, I guess. You'd, yeah, you'd say yeah. It becomes very one. lingerie, a very lingerie, <laughs> like directed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it gets a little. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Victoria's Secret. There you go. <laughs> but the obi, the obi design is beautiful. Yeah, that silver on black is stunning. Yeah, it's just stunning. Uh, then we have the um, Morinaga piece here. She even has a matching fan on that one. Yeah, he, he caught. Uh, so it again is a play like we saw in the other room of the idea of the haori, the jacket over the kimono and very loose and flowing sleeves, the collar there, but she does have like a shirt underneath it. Kind of fun. Yeah. Fun yeah. And one. this is a pretty recent piece too. This is from 2013. Mm-hmm. I feel like you mm-hmm. can kind of tell it looks very, very now fashion <laughs> and, and not quite as out there as maybe like the, the Kuokabo stuff. You can imagine somebody actually wearing this mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. easily. Now, Someone actually wore this. Okay. Okay. Um, this is a Boro coat, and it's uh, what we're calling rag wear now. Uh, the Japanese have always been a very resource-poor country. Hmm. So they used and reused everything. Um, a kimono, when it wore out, would become cut down to be children's clothing, would be cut down to patch up something else be cut down to be dish rags to be padding for your shoe the, the the winter boots and things like that everything was reused um this is just this most amazing collection of blues yeah. as as the indigo faded uh and they just kept patching it it is a padded coat so it's a winter coat okay on that so they they would have winter coats like that um 
very much farmers out in the rural area. The other thing to remember is we, we forget that every piece of cloth in a rural community was made in that community. Someone, some woman, after doing all the day's chores, sat down at the loom and wove fabric for hours to get clothing for her family. Mm-hmm. So when something started to wear out, you were going to patch it. Yeah, and, and and I think it's good to note that this is an older piece mm-hmm. that's like, it because it does blend so seamlessly with the pieces next to it, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of showing us, here's where this kind of comes from, but it actually just looks kind of like it could be a piece of contemporary fashion, but it's from, you know, anywhere, but the label says just, you know, between 1868 and 1912, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it blends in perfectly with these two pieces right next to it. And people do collect these now, if yeah. you can find them. Yeah. Because they, they literally would wear it to death. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kawakubo picked up on that whole, uh, well, she deliberately created this. So it has some rough edges and some uh, uncut, but more like ripped ideas, the layering that's there. Um, one of the, or both of, two of the curators that came with the founding show were wearing, wearing Kawakubo um, oh, okay. I, items with um, the ripped and the unfinished edges you might say yeah a lot of I, a lot of the pieces of of hers that i'm familiar with have that look of like clothes being sort of falling apart <laughs> or sort of you know mm-hmm. being transformed into mm-hmm. something else so yeah mm-hmm. this feels very very in line with some of the the beggar look yeah yeah mm-hmm. right and we have to come back here we have to start at the t-shirts first we are entering the j-pop section yeah and j-pop owes so much to Osama Tezuka, who was the Walt Disney of Japan. Mm -hmm. He basically started the current craze for manga. And we have a selection of shirts here that that basically um, honor him with some of the different series that he created. He created quite a few. He began right after World War II and went for quite a long time. So you have the orange shirt is actually in the manga form. So it's a comic book. Manga is a comic book. And in the panels of the comic book, and you read right to left. You don't read left mm-hmm. to right on that one. And then it has its own bag. <laughs> it, it actually is designed for Lacoste. Yeah, it's um, got the little alligator on it and everything. <clears throat> it looks a little odd to me, but that's me <laughs> on that one. And then you have the crash boom bang here um, because so many of the manga do a lot to uh, visualize special effects like explosions and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And the, the little alligator again. The printing on this is really mm-hmm. interesting. The way it gets the different gradients on the, the smoke and the, the line, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Tezuka, um, he made a, a series uh, called, I think it's like here we call it like Kimba the White Lion, okay. which, uh, you know, you were mentioning he's like the Disney of... Um, of Japan Mm -hmm. and Disney was very aware of him as well. And shortly after they started working on a a little project called the lion King that bears a lot (laughs) of resemblance to his piece. piece. Yeah. To the point where there's scenes that are like shockingly like note for note, like, Oh, this is just a rip off. (laughs) That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, We have two examples of kimono back here. This first one by Miyake is a coat from 2016. It's more like a haori. It, it's a short coat. It's a very abstracted geisha. Yeah. Very abstracted geisha. Actually, it almost is like she has kabuki makeup on with that red around the eyes 
and everything like that. Yeah, it's um, just, it's really it's actually kind of interesting how abstracted it is, but how well it still reads as a face. <laughs> I mean, when you really look at it, and the more you break it down, you're like, this should not read as a face. But it's like <laughs> you you know, it's just our brains will see faces wherever they mm-hmm. are want to, and so mm-hmm. you know, look at that. The mouth is just a big circle and a little sliver of another circle almost yeah. behind it poking through. I know. And it's like, yep, yeah, that's a mouth. Mm-hmm. We're good with that. We're good with that. <laughs> yeah. And then directly across from that one is we have one here by uh, Castle, Castle Bojack. And this is from 1996. It is sheer yeah. with all that gold on it. So back to lacquerware and all that. But it actually, we have the print that he based his design on. It was not unusual to show three famous geisha or three famous waitresses in the same print. Mm-hmm. Um, it increased, increased sales. They were all into that. And then he added himself <laughs> in hanging down from the top uh, with his dog. And he even has a JC for his initials right there. And um, part of that is chocolate and me, um, apparently, if you translate it. Um, so this is yeah. uh, chocolat yes. et moi. You would definitely have a very plain black sheath under this one, or white maybe, because you want it to make sure that this design shows up. And then she's got an Uchiwa fan. That's the rigid round fan, but it has a smiley face on yeah. it. <laughs> Kawaii. It's all about Kawaii. Yeah. Uh, and then our last platform here in the center one is Kawaii. Um, the little sparkly-eyed girls um, on on the dress. And um, I was getting, as I was doing my notes, having, this is Harajuku style here. Mm-hmm. And Harajuku style uh, started actually with combining Western fashions with um, Japanese fashions. But as anime became popular, the fashionistas in Tokyo began to dress themselves as their favorite anime characters. And they gather in Harajuku Park on Sundays, and all of a sudden it came to me, it's like Sundays in the park with J-pop. <laughs> and that's what we're looking at here. Um, she's got like a tunic over a little short skirt with the, the character with the sparkly eyes on it. Uh, then on the left, we have a men's outfit that is patched. Could be mm-hmm. over in the Boro section. But what it is is covered with katakana. And katakana mm-hmm. is the Japanese syllabary that is used now in um, manga for uh, pop and uh, sound words and accent words. Okay. So he's like an explosion of sound if you can read the katakana okay. on that one. Um, and then on our right, we have the tunic, jacket, trousers, and sneakers that is all on a robot character called Mobile Suit Gundam, and it's in a fictional universe. So it's all references to that um, so plain black trousers, but the rest of it's pretty crazy. I, I didn't notice the the undershirt. Yeah, I was just about that. to point it out. It's like clear plastic. plastic. Yeah, underneath. That's yeah, pretty crazy. That is. Yeah, I love this one. This one's so wild because it does feel like, in some ways, very conservative, like <laughs> until you look at the patterns mm-hmm. and, and the, the other things. Mm-hmm. And I love uh, with the this uh, the one next to it, the the girl's real hair poking. Yeah. <laughs> like it's this pattern of this, you know, mm-hmm. manga character, but she has hair, co- like threads coming out for her hair. It's so funny. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. And one. then this, the mask too. That's something else we didn't point out about mm. this one mm-hmm. is that 
It's like it is a sparkly face mask, mm-hmm. and it's sort of terrifying. It's not one that I'm. I, I try not to look at it. If you want to know the truth, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just not into that. But I think there's something like the kind of cuteness meets this like kind of scary thing that I, can happen in anime and manga. I feel like very there, definitely, and I feel like there's something. My sense of the a lot of Japanese culture is that they they sort of love putting the cute up against the grotesque sometimes, and, and like playing with that oh, a lot. They, so. they, they're big. If you read Lovecraft O'Hearn, they're big into ghost stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, all right. Still is. Well, so let's the, just wrap it up here. Yeah. Thank, um, thank you so much, Helen, mm-hmm. for coming out and. And uh, showing us around. Uh, so uh, this was really, I learned a lot today. Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out as we walk out that for guests who will be visiting after listening to this, there are wonderful text panels on fabric hung throughout the exhibit <laughs> that uh, pull in some of the things that, that you and I have been talking about. And when you come, look for the traditional and the avant-garde. Yes, there will be. Have fun with the J-pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Kimono, Refashioning Contemporary Style, and No Spectators, The Art of Burning Man. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofrande Musicale by Bacalao. If you enjoy the show, why not leave us a nice review or rating? You can also take the survey, which helps us learn more about our listeners at cincinnatiartmuseum.org slash podcast. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. 